Hi, I'm Empress Victoria. Let me tell you the story of my life. Queen Victoria's first child, her daughter, Princess Victoria, went to agonising lengths to make her mother proud and impress her. She later became the Empress of Prussia. Princess Victoria was able to rise very high, but her life ended with a giant crash. Victoria was born a disappointment. She was born to the young Queen and her husband Albert on the 21st of November, 1840. Queen Victoria had written in her letters that if the baby was born a girl, that she would drown the babe. So when she gave birth to her first child, who was a daughter, she was deeply disappointed. Even the doctor delivering the baby knew of the profound disappointment when he announced that the Queen had sadly had a girl. This was already a bad start, considering she wished for a boy immediately after birth, when she said, don't worry, the next one will be a boy. When she grew up, she went on to have issues with her mum. She grew up to be very intelligent, which her father loved, and they grew very close to each other. Prince Albert and the family lovingly called her Vicky for the rest of her life. Her mother's relationship was very different. Although Victoria did love her daughter in her own way, their relationship was chilly and distant. This was perhaps due to her strict upbringing in the palace. The reason she grew up to be so intelligent was because she had to follow a rigorous educational schedule. She was expected to perform perfectly with exceedingly high expectation placed upon her. Prince Albert even went on to write a book about how he tried to educate his heirs to the highest level. She went to great lengths to please her family. Just as her father was an overachieving and talented man, Vicky would follow in his footsteps. She spent most of her days learning everything from arithmetic to philosophy and took on liberal ideas. Part of her learning started at a very young age and at 18 months old, she was expected to learn French, and she would later go on to learn German from the age of four. She was becoming an eligible princess, fit to enter the marriage market. As was often the case in royal families, they started scouting for a suitor from a young age. Vicky was only 11 when a match with a man eight years older than her, at 19 years old, called Prince Frederick William. He was an heir to the Kingdom of Prussia, and he became a potential match. At still only 11 years old, it was arranged for the very young Vicky to meet this older man in 1851 at the Great Exhibition in London. The 11-year-old child and the adult man were getting on brilliantly. She was impressing him with her fluent German, which was the Prince's native language and she was eager to put her talents to the test to bag herself an eligible suitor. This would go on to become one of the most stirring romances of the Victorian era. The prince returned home after his visit, but the pair kept in contact through writing letters. These letters between the pair got steamier and steamier as the years went on. They wrote to each other for four years, 
until the younger was aged 15 and he was 23. Her pen pal lover would take the relationship to the next level when Frederick returned to Britain in 1855, under the veil of diplomatic reasons. However, it was obvious that he was in love with the English princess and he had come to visit to determine whether she was suitable to be his wife against all odds she was. Frederick's family were disappointed in his match with Victoria. They were outraged by his crush on her as they believed the British monarchy was not an absolute monarchy and therefore it was weaker than other monarchies in the world. They wished for him to marry a Russian archduchess instead. But his love for the English princess was made all the more complicated by others perceiving her as ugly on top of everything else that they despised about her. Vicky was slightly older at 15 years old and this was a more acceptable age for marriage but she was still small at only 4 foot 11 and she looked very similar to her mother with a round face which was not the epitome of beauty at the time. Vicky was not made to feel much better about these facts when her own mother worried that Frederick would get one glimpse of her and walk away. But that's not what happened at all. Vicky needn't worry, the pair got on amazingly when they were able to meet in person once again and after only three days together, the prince proposed with the approval of Queen Victoria. With only one rule in place, that they waited until she was 17 years old before they got married. This was four years of communication and love in the making. They were finally together officially, but their future was far from a fairy tale because the Prussian people hated her and the British people hated her groom more. The news of a royal wedding normally storms up excitement and celebration in the public, but not this time. The Prussian people were disappointed in Frederick's choice in bride, and the British public were not a fan of Vicky's groom either. They branded his family a miserable dynasty in the press. There were few moments of peace between the two joining families and they quarrelled over the wedding details. The Prussian family were much more traditional than the British royal family. Vicky had requested to bring two of her own ladies-in-waiting with her to the foreign land, but she was met with a hard and cold nine from Berlin. With the wedding approaching, the fighting did not stop there. It got worse because her mother insulted her husband's family. The Prussian family, as the family of the groom, they wanted to take charge of the wedding and they demanded that things went their way. They insisted that the pair marry in front of the Prussian court in Berlin, but Queen Victoria brutally responded that she absolutely would not stand for that. Luckily for her, she got her own way, with the wedding taking place in the St James's Palace in London. Despite all of the issues between the family, the couple did go on to have a fairy tale wedding on the 25th of January 1858. Vicky wore a flouncing Honiton lace confection, complete with an enormous three-yard train and delicate wreaths of orange and myrtle blossoms. As the bride of the groom with his own royal family, 
Vicky was set for a future in his native land, and so she joined him in Berlin shortly after, where things did not go any smoother now that they were newlyweds, because their in-laws were monsters, hell-bent on making her life hell. Despite the issues, both Frederick and Vicky were young and in love, and they would have been looking forward to a beautiful honeymoon period. But after years of quarrelling between the two families, and with years of growing hate towards Vicky, and they let her know on many occasions, with very public insults from his extended family. Not only did they publicly humiliate, they also punished her without words, by putting them up in their new home, which was far from a show of opulent wealth. Frederick's uncle, King Frederick William IV, was the ruler of Prussia, and just like everybody else, he was not keen on the match, but it was too late. Instead, he gave them a chilly reception and sent them to live in a derelict wing of the Berlin Royal Palace. This section of the building was shabby and outdated, and it didn't even have a bath. Her in-laws continued to dislike her, and despite having similarities in their political views, with both being liberal. This must have been very hard for a young girl of only 17 years old, surrounded by a family that did not warm to her. They did, however, expect her to perform her royal duties, which often included appearing at formal dinners and public performances every night, usually staying past midnight. Then she would have to wake up at the crack of dawn, get dressed in full regalia and greet people at 7am. Vicky had always been caught in the middle of the Prussian and British courts. She was encouraged to remain a British princess first and foremost by her mother, but was required to be a Prussian princess by the other. She could not win, until eventually she was made to make an impossible decision. When the Duchess of Orleans, a distant relative of both her and her husband's family died, this led to a choice being made. The British family mourned and wore black for a month, where the Prussians did so for only a week. She made the wrong choice in the eyes of her mother. She decided to mourn for seven days alongside her husband's family. Queen Victoria berated her daughter for not sticking to English traditions. She received many demanding letters from the Queen until Prince Albert insisted that the Queen stop. Petty disagreements broke out as a result of the hobbies that Vicky decided to take up. She had always enjoyed gardening and decided to start this in her new home. The Prussians took this as an attack on their gardening styles and when the princess took inspiration from geometric and simple English gardens, this led to a battle to make the palace's gardens as leafy as possible. Despite being a royal princess, she struggled financially and her royal duties went without thanks. King Frederick Wilhelm gave his nephew an allowance, but it was so little for a royal expected to attend royal engagements of the highest standing. And so Vicky found herself having to go into her own dowry to keep them presentable at these engagements. This was a far cry away from the life that she was used to in the British royal family, and the transition took its toll on her. 
Vicky married young and went on to have children, young too. Within a year of marriage, she was pregnant, as it would have been expected of her to be. In late January 1859, the princess went into labour, and the nightmare began when her son was injured. The people responsible for ensuring that her labour went swiftly did not follow their duties to the highest of standards. The maid delayed getting a doctor, and Vicky, who was just wearing a flannel nightgown, nearly died during the birth of her first child. She had few attendants at the birth, and the baby was in the breech position, making the delivery long, hard, complicated, and nearly fatal for her and her unborn child. The baby was finally born, but it wasn't without physical complications, because her son had a devastating injury from the birth. A caesarean was new at the time and had a very high maternal mortality rate, so this procedure was out of the question. Had there been better medical care at the time, the prince would have perhaps not been handicapped from birth. The future Kaiser Wilhelm II was forcefully and traumatically born into this world, leaving him with an arm that did not work. Three days after birth, his handicap was noticed by a nursemaid, who noted that his damaged left arm hung limply at his side. What was not known at the time was due to the lack of medical education, was that the traumatic birth had caused a condition called Erb's palsy, which leads to damage being made to the nerves and this caused his arm to be completely paralysed with problems growing also. Princess Vicky was embarrassed by the air that she had produced and although it was no fault of either the mother or child, this male heir was supposed to represent strength and an ability to strengthen the relationship between Germany and Britain. To Princess Vicky, her son's condition represented weakness and reflected badly on her. Perhaps this is why she went to such disgusting lengths to try to cure him. When Vicky saw the extent of her baby's injuries, the doctors tried to convince her that the baby would heal and recover from his injuries. But unfortunately, this was not the case. The trauma eventually led to the young child's arm withering, leaving it 15 centimetres shorter than his right arm. Shocked and disbelieving, the royal couple had to make a gut-wrenching decision. Vicky was under great scrutiny from the Prussian court, and her husband's family, and she was afraid to announce that her first task of motherhood had been tainted by the baby's condition. The couple therefore decided to keep it a secret. She did tell her own parents, but only four months after dealing with the situation on her own, and finally losing hope that he would recover. At such a young age, it must have felt like the world was against her and it was the worst thing that could ever happen to her, but this was proved very wrong. As the tot grew older and began to walk, Princess Vicky would tie his arm behind his back. She hoped that by taking away the use of the arm he could use, it would force him to use the arm that had been left free, but that was paralysed. 
This meant that the tot no longer had use of any of his arms, which caused him great distress. And Vicky noted that he gets so fretful and cross and violent and passionate that it makes me quite nervous sometimes. If these rituals were not disturbing enough for the young boy, he was also subjected to electrotherapy for most of his childhood. The procedure would take place almost daily, meaning he would suffer in pain every single day of his childhood for something that would never be cured this way. During the procedure, the young boy's head would hang to the side while he was strapped into an appliance so that he could not escape. A metal rod was used to straighten his back and a screw to pull his head upright. This therapy would have been agony for the young boy. Was it done out of love to fix his arm or was it done to try to cure the embarrassment his mother felt over his disability? Princess Vicky was perhaps in denial that her son's condition was a permanent and lifelong one. She tried to fix his arm. She was convinced that the damage could be repaired. This is when the start of some disturbing and bizarre rituals were done to make his arm work again. At only six months, when his mother had realised he was still paralysed, she began to give him animal baths. Twice a week, his arm was put inside of a freshly slaughtered hare. The idea was that the warm blood would transfer vitality to the limb and make it work again. Of course, this did not work, but was perhaps just more traumatic for the infant. During her marriage to Frederick, the couple went on to have eight children. None of the other births were as traumatic as her first. In 1861, another horrific tragedy occurred. Her beloved father, Prince Albert, suddenly died, which submerged the British public into a deep state of mourning with her mother becoming a recluse. Vicky was devastated and she returned to the UK to comfort her mother and to attend the funeral. When she returned to Prussia, it soon all collapsed on itself. Vicky was hell-bent on raising her children herself. She loved them dearly and refused to go on long trips away for fear that she would miss them too much. This made what came next all the more devastating when she suffered a mother's worst nightmare. Vicky's fourth child was a baby boy called Sigismund and he tragically died at only 21 months old in 1866. He caught a severe case of meningitis and with the medical care not being what it is today, he could not be saved. She was plunged into a grief that no one is ever prepared to face, with little support from others around her. Although Vicky was in mourning for her lost son, no one else seemed to be. Another one of her sons, Waldemar, passed in 1879, and again she received almost no sympathy from anyone in the Prussian court. Her own mother was too consumed by her own grief for her father, Prince Albert, that she did not believe her daughter was in as much pain as her, as a husband was worse to lose than a child. She made a big error in judgment when she hired a tutor to teach her children, 
that would go on to encourage Wilhelm to embrace his right to rule and banish anyone who got in his way. There was no time to worry about this yet, as her country was in ruins. Frederick's father, who was now king, nearly abdicated the throne when the country was experiencing conflict. The people hated Vicky more than ever at this point, and people thought she was a drama queen. Vicky tried to impress the court to gain their respect and get them to like her. She set up a military hospital to tend to the wounded in the endless conflict of the country. But the king blasted her actions and demanded that she stopped her theatre of charity. Still, that wasn't the only time the Emperor of Prussia would disapprove of Vicky and her husband. The pair were snubbed by the king, with him instead favouring their son, Wilhelm, who he saw as a brash, militant German. This was perhaps a way to humiliate his son and to purposely exclude him from duties, despite being next in line to the throne. Vicky tried to get the Prussian people to like her, but each time she was met with disappointment and rage. They were never going to like her, because the views of the Germans were becoming ever more autocratic, while she and Frederick remained liberal in their views. Then suddenly the game got fatally dangerous. Vicky's husband, Frederick, came close to his rightful throne, but his health took a turn for the worse. He was suffering with his throat, and eventually he could barely talk at all. The doctors did diagnose him with a non-cancerous tumour and encouraged him to have surgery to remove it. Despite this medical advice, the pair refused any treatment for him, which caused outrage among the children. Wilhelm travelled to see them and he accused his mother of being happy that Frederick was so gravely ill. No matter how much the children tried to convince them the royal couple refused all treatment, and this led to one of the most bizarre circumstances in Germany history. Vicky became the shadow empress. Frederick's father died on the 9th of March, 1888, and he appointed Vicky and Frederick as emperor and empress. They were shadow roles as they were expected to be replaced very soon due to the condition that Frederick was in, and so Wilhelm would take the throne anyway. Just before she gave up her Empress role, she took on a secret mission. She was a smart girl and had always been smart enough to suss out the situation. She wanted to protect herself and her legacy, and so she hid three boxes of personal documents in Windsor Castle in England. Her hope was to stop her enemies from gaining access to the information, and she was right to do this. The couple ruled as shadow rulers for only 99 days when Frederick died on the 15th of June, 1888, only months after his father's death. He passed the baton to his son Wilhelm, who immediately betrayed his mother by invading her privacy. He ordered for his parents' residence to be ransacked by soldiers to try and find information that would be incriminating. Nothing was found due to Vicky's quick and pre-thinking. 
She knew her son would waste no time in betraying her once he had the throne. Vicky was now merely a Dojer Empress and Wilhelm ensured his mother knew that she was no longer in charge and that she had been demoted. He punished his mother in other ways once he could find no incriminating evidence against her. He banished her from the palace and tried to exclude her from society. He signed her up to take on traditional doja duties by becoming a patron of the German Red Cross. Vicky did not take this treatment lying down and she got her revenge on her son through her words. Warhaime once wrote in a guest book during his international travels, the will of the king is the supreme law. Vicky mocked her son in an attempt to humiliate him when she sneered, the Tsar, an infallible Pope, a Bourbon, or a poor Charles I might have pronounced that phrase, but a monarch of the 19th century? By 1988, Vicky was suffering from her own poor health as she was suffering from terminal breast cancer. She had one final desire and dying wish. She did not want her son to use her private letters against her, and so she again smuggled them to England. There was good reason to hide these letters due to some of the cruel words she had remarked about her own son. In one letter she wrote to her parents when Wilhelm was young, Vicky confessed, He is really smart for his age. If only he didn't have that unfortunate arm, I would be so proud of him. Victoria devoted part of her final years to painting and to visit the artist colony of Kronberg. In her last days she used to walk in the morning and spend long hours writing letters or reading in the library of her castle. The cancer she was suffering with was inoperable and it forced her to stay in bed for long periods of time. The cancer had spread to her spine by the autumn of 1900. The Empress Doja died on the 5th of August 1901, less than seven months after the death of her mother. She was buried next to her husband in the Royal Mausoleum at Potsdam on the 13th of August 1901. Her tomb has a recumbent marble effigy of herself on top. Her two sons who died in childhood, Sigismund and Waldemar, are buried in the same mausoleum. In the end, Wilhelm really should have listened to his mother after decades of autocratic rule and the outbreak of World War I. Wilhelm was the last Emperor of Germany. In 1918, he lost all support and power and he had to flee to the Netherlands. Yet, Wilhelm finally found out that the will of the king was not supreme law. Please continue to support my channel by subscribing. Please comment, like and subscribe if you wish for more stories and leave your suggestions below and I will endeavour to cover them.